Hello, welcome to City Hope Church. Today, Pastor Peter Pilt will be continuing his sermon series, Gladiator, from the Book of Romans. Let's pray, hey? Father, we just commit our time around the Word to you this morning. Father, we honour the Word in this, in this house. And Father, we pray that tonight, uh, this morning, Lord, that as we open your Word, uh, you, anoint me as the Holy, uh, you anoint me, Holy Spirit, to preach a Word in season. Father, for, for us this morning, in Jesus' name, Amen. So I've been preaching this month on the book of Romans. Uh, we titled our series Gladiator, and we're looking at, at, the, at the book of Romans. And uh, the last two Sundays, I've read out a, uh, a background statement to the book that I think is amazing. And if there's, if there's a takeaway that I would like you to get as we've dealt with the, the, uh, the, the book of Romans is that, that your opinion of Romans will have increased. That you're, where you kind of, I mean, we all have opinions of books of the Bible. Uh, you don't, you may think you don't, but you do. Because if I say the book of Leviticus or Lamentations, you probably just go, never read it, probably never will. But if I, if I t- talk about the book of Psalms, you go, oh yeah, I'll read that book and that, that, that's okay. Or, uh, and so we've all got opinions. But I want to lift your opinion of the book of Romans and hopefully you'll read it more often in your quiet time. Maybe it'll be your go-to book where you, you sit down, you've got 15 minutes to spend time with God and you, 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 you want to just read something meaty. That, that maybe Romans would be your go-to book. And so here's the statement. It says the epistle, this epistle talking about Romans, is really the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. And it is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. It is the most remarkable production of the most remarkable man. It is his heart. It contains his theology, theoretical and practical, for which he lived and died. It gives the clearest and fullest exposition of the doctrines of sin and grace and the best possible solution of the universal dominion of sin and death in the universal redemption by the second man, Adam. And we've been looking at the structure of the book. And last... uh, um, Last week we dealt with, well, the, the, the basic structure of the book is, is, is there's an introduction, there's a, a, a section on justification, which is what I preached on last Sunday. I preached the introduction the, the week before. Uh, then the, the third section is sanctification, and then there's a, 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 a bit about Israel between kind of Romans... Um, Romans 12 to about, well, Romans 13 through, through to, no, sorry, Romans 9 to 12 is about Israel, and then 12 onwards is a practical section. And so my plan for this month was to do introduction, justification, sanctification, and practical. And I'm still going to do that, but I'm messing up with the order, and I'm going to talk about the practical side uh, of, of Romans uh, and what Romans teaches us about how we live. I'm doing that, that, that this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm landing in Romans 12 is, is where it, it is. And uh, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 relates uh, how we behave toward God. R- uh, Romans 12 and 3 to 9 relates how we relate to ourselves. And then from 9 to verse 21, it talks about how we treat others. And that's where I want to land this morning. So uh, we're landing on Romans 12, 9 to 21. And uh, I'm going to read from the message paraphrase version. Now, I, I don't always uh, uh, read, I don't, I don't preach from the message paraphrase because to me it's not a, um, 
a fully endorsed translation. It is someone's opinion of what the Bible says and it's great to, to read it and it's great that, that it's there and I don't mind it. But generally as a preacher, I think a, a preacher, uh, the preachers regularly from the message is missing uh, some of the more substantial stuff that's in the Word of God. Uh, but I like the message, so don't hear me. I'm not bagging the message out. But I think if you're going to study the Word and you're going to preach on the Word, then the message is probably not the best place to land. Um, so, But today... Having said all that, today I'm going to preach out of the message. Anyway, so, uh, I, and, and the reason I'm, one of the reasons I'm doing that is, is it says it very well, but it also follows very closely to what the New King James says, and so it is a good section. So, uh, here it is, we'll put it up on the screen. Uh, Romans 12, 9 to 21. Love from the centre of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply, practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the master, cheerfully expected. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy go hungry, buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, give him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. You could see this list, this, this passage of scripture, as a Christian's to-do list when it comes to how we live and how we interact with the world. In my Bible, uh, this particular passage of Scripture is titled, How to Behave Like a Christian. I love that. Because I think if we could get some of these things really nailed, I think we'd probably be better Christians. And so I, I like that idea. So what I want to do is I just want to pick a number of those statements and talk about them and unpack them a little bit uh, this morning. So the first one is, love from the centre of who you are, don't fake it. Authenticity is very important. How do you fake love? Well, your mouth says something that's not in your heart. Your mouth speaks when there's no actions following. Or your mouth speaks, but your actions actually do the person harm. And I think what the world, what, what the world is looking for is, is authenticity amongst Christians. What, what's, the, what's one of the major criticisms of the church is, well, it's just full of hypocrites. And anyone ever says that to me, I go, well, come and join us. <laughs> but if we could, and I have to say that, that at times, we've earned that badge of being hypocritical. And I think that if we could be more authentic, we could actually reach more people in the world. There's a story of a woman and she pulled up behind a car and the car was stopped at the lights and the lights turned green and the car didn't go, didn't move. And so the woman started beeping a horn, started giving the bird. See, I didn't give it. 
started giving the, the, the finger and she was, she was honking. She wound down a window. She's out, she's out, out, out the window yelling abuse at the, at, the, at the car in front. And then the, light, the lights went orange just as the first car took off and she didn't get through the lights. And so she was furious. So the cop behind her put the lights on, pulled her over and arrested her. Took her to the cop station and charged her. Anyway, a couple of hours later, they, the, the cop goes into the cell and says, I'm sorry, ma'am, there's, there's been a misunderstanding. And he released her. And she said, well, what was the misunderstanding? And she, he said, well, when I saw the I Love Jesus sticker on your bumper bar and the fish sticker and your church's name, and I saw your behaviour, I assumed you'd stolen the car. Lee Strobel was a, uh, a gentleman whose wife was saved and he was a journalist. He was a cynical journalist in, in Chicago. And the, the story says that uh, he began attending a church in the early 80s to appease his, his wife because his wife was kind of saying, hey, you need to come to church. And in Strobel's insightful book, Inside the Mind of Unchurched Harry and Mary, Lee recalls, when I walked into, into church as a sceptical unbeliever, my hypocrisy antenna was scanning the place for signs of people of just playing church. In fact, I was aggressively on the lookout for phoniness, opportunism or deception because I felt that if I could find an excuse for rejecting the church on the grounds of hypocrisy, I could feel free to reject the God of Christianity as well. It ended up being the authenticity of the church and his wife that led him to accept Christ. Because, uh, and I've read his, I mean, he's now a prolific author uh, on apologetics and he talks about the case for faith and the case for Christ. And, uh, but, but what happened was his, his, his sinning um, uh, you know, wife, uh, non-Christian wife, gets saved and actually becomes a better person. And, and it's, it's, it's that, the fact that she became a better person, that's what started him going, hang on, there might be something in this. And again, I look at, I look at the, the authenticity of the church, that, that we would not fake it. It starts off and says, love must be sincere. Let me read you an illustration. Our English word sincere comes from the Latin sincerus, and it means without wax. It stems from the practice of the early Roman merchants who, sell, who would set their earthen and porcelain jars out for sale. And if, it, if a cracked one... If a crack appeared in one, they would fill it with wax of the same colour as the jar, so a buyer would not be aware that it was cracked. But astute buyers learned to hold these jars out in the sun, and if the jar was cracked, the wax would melt and the crack would be revealed. So the honest merchants would test their wares this way and mark them sincerus, which literally means without wax. What an amazing thing that we would live our life without wax, that there would be a sincerity in the way we do life and the way we engage. The second statement out of Romans 12 that I want to talk about today is run for dear life from evil. If we go to the next slide, there we go. Run for dear life from evil. Now, the different translations translate this differently. They say, abhor, abhor what is evil, Hate what is wrong, detest what is evil, abhor what is wicked, loathe evil. Let us have a genuine break with evil. 
That's a, good, that's a good statement. Let's have a genuine break. You know what? I'm just taking some time out from evil right now. Uh, it's kind of like having a Facebook break. Um, I'm just taking some time out. I'm deactivating the evil account and I'm moving on. Uh, run for dear life from evil. You must always turn in horror from what is wrong. And the Greek word apostego appears only here in the entire New Testament writings. It appears, it never appears in either the Old Testament or the Apocrypha. And it means to listen to this, it means to shrink away from, uh, to shrink away with, and, and sorry, to shrink away from with abhorrence, to have a horror of, to shudder at, to dislike, or to abhor. To shrink away from with abhorrence. I, I think there's a danger that, that even we as Christians have slowly been changed by the whole frog in the kettle concept. Because I look at how I uh, was raised, and I was raised in an in a Anglican home, and uh, you know, there was, there was strict, strictness in what we did and all that kind of deal. And, but I look at, at, at maybe how we, what, what we accept these days, and I go, have we just been that frog in the kettle? You know the concept of the frog in the kettle, that if you put a frog in hot water, it jumps out. If you put a frog in cold water and slowly turn up the temperature, it doesn't jump out and, slow, and will we'll boil to death. And I do wonder whether we accept too much of what the world is going on and, and we don't run from evil. We don't react in abhorrence to what is going on in the world. A commentary by the guy, a guy by the name of McLaren says, unless we shudderingly recoil from contact with the bad in our lives and refuse to christen it with de deceptive euphemisms when we meet in social and civil life, we shall but feebly grasp and slackly hold to what is good. Another commentator said, indifference towards sin and especially an indulgent temper towards it, proves that there's no real love of holiness. The true measure of a man's love of God is the intensity with which he hates evil. The intensity with which he hates evil. And the Bible's saying that we need to run from evil. There needs to be a, a, a fleeing from evil and, and, uh, and, and, and run from evil as if our dear life depends on it. Now, now we, all, we all can put our hands up and say, yes, yes, we, uh, you know, uh, um, rape, murder, uh, you know, all the bad evils. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, none of us are a fan of murder here, are we? Well, I mean, unless there's 80 pigs and we're murdering 80 of them. But I mean, but, I mean even this week, haven't we all been, uh, haven't we all recalled in horror at the rape and murder of that, that young lady, that young comedian in, in the Melbourne soccer field? I mean, we, we, we feel that, that there's an ab abhorrence in that. But the problem is that we, again, we classify evil. We, we've got the, the nasty evils and then we've got the, the, they're not so nasty evils. Like things like pride, envy, judgmentalism, anger, sins of the tongue, impatience, lack of self-control, unthankfulness, worry and discontentment. And that list, that list that I read out was actually from a book that I read years ago called Respectable Sins. Because we can, we can be unthankful. And if, if Brian's unthankful, nobody's walking up to Brian and going, demons out! <laughs> Just because he isn't very thankful in life. But the Bible says that ungratefulness is a sin. 
And are we going to react in, our, in abhorrence to unfaithfulness? Well, according to the Bible, that's what we need to do. Romans 12 goes on and says, hold on for dear life to what is good. And, and isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how what is good these days, it's almost not PC to celebrate what is good. That, that we, we need to, the Bible says we need to, to, to cling, to hold on for dear life to what is good. I mean, some of the stupidity in the world these days is off the charts. And, and evil is being celebrated and good is, is you know, if, if you stand for what is good these days, you are, you are ostracised. You are, you are bullied. You are, you are claimed to be a hater. I, I, I write blogs. I have an opinion on everything and I like to share it on my blog. And uh, I, I find that my blog, my opinions are not always celebrated. And I wrote a blog this week on the absurdity of the world wanting men to use women's toilets. Now, I've got a wife and daughters and I think it's stupid. And so I called it stupid. I called a few other things too, but anyway. And, and, but I, you, you, read, you read the reactions to my blog and, and you would think that I've just said, I want to kill children. But we need to cling on to what is good. We need to run from what is evil, hold on to what is good. The next statement in Romans 12, which none of us really like, is practice playing second fiddle. Oh, there's a great statement. And what Paul is saying in essence is that we should consider others, we should consider others more important than ourselves and we should strive hard to champion them, to push them forward, to, to, to celebrate with them, to, to recognise their contributions. I think that's a big challenge for us. I mean, you've only got to just drive down the M1 or drive anywhere actually and put your blinker on and you just want to move over. But that means that the car that was third in line at the lights is now going to be fourth in line at the lights. How dare you? And there's lots of like waving going on and, and, and or because somebody doesn't want to play second fiddle. Someone doesn't want to let them in. And you know why this is? I'll tell you why. Because the devil didn't want to play second fiddle to God. In fact, he said in, in Isaiah, uh, this is what, what this is talking about the devil. Uh, G, the, the prophet is talking about the devil and said, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred hill. So the devil was looking. He was one of the, the four archangels in the Bible. And he looked at God and said, You know what? Four of us play second fiddle to you, God, and I don't want to play second fiddle anymore. So I'm going to say, said to myself, I'm going to ascend up onto the sacred mountain and I'm going to take hold of the throne of God. And he took a third of the angels and had a big battle in heaven. Why? Because he didn't want to play second fiddle. And so that, 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 that desire to be number one now runs in the carnality of our flesh because Adam and Eve sold us out to the devil. And so there's a default in us that says, I want to be number one. Of the devil. 
So here's some questions. If someone gets recognised at church or work, do we secretly harbour some animosity toward that person because we didn't get the same recognition? I mean, there's a story where, where Saul and David uh, went out to battle and, and, and Saul and David had been friends and, and uh, in fact, Saul was David's father-in-law and uh, they come back from the battle and all the people come out to sing accolades to David and Saul. And one of, them, the, 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 one of the songs was, hey, you know, Saul has slain his thousands. How, he was, how awesome is him? And, and, and Saul was just going, yes, yes, I have. I've slain my thousands. I am like Maximus from Gladiator. And Saul was so excited that the people were, were just giving him that adulation until, they, until he heard the second verse. And the second verse was, and David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul went, you know, I'm the king, right? And that the Bible records that it was from that moment that a schism developed in their relationship. And ultimately, Saul then became so bitter, he hunted David for years trying to kill him. All because someone got more accolades. Here's another question. What if someone goes well for what if something goes well for someone and we're struggling? What's our response? We walk in, you know, we've had a bad week at, at work and you know the, the at, at house at our home, the car failed Red Joe and it's a bomb of a car anyway. And we walk into church and Caleb and Chantel have just bought a new car. <laughs> and not only that, it's an Audi. No, not from Aldi. It's an Aldi. <laughs> What's our reaction? Well, typical youth pastors. Church is just about money. And now look what they're obviously paying them way too much. We don't pay them anything for the record. And... <laughs> But what's our reaction when we see someone with a better car or see someone stepping out in business and, and, and being successful? What, what's our reaction? Do we, do we struggle playing second fiddle? What if someone, what if something goes well for, uh, no, I've already said that one. I remember uh, uh, watching American Idol and Simon Cowell, you know, the, the, the bad judge. <laughs> Simon Cowell made this statement because he was watching somebody get through to the next round and all the family and friends reacting. And I remember Simon Cowell, this was a few years ago, and he said, I, I can't understand how somebody could be so happy for someone else's success. I thought, what a sad little man. <laughs> I already thought that, but I thought it more. Uh, because, because, anyway, just amazing. Let's keep going. The point is, let's, let's be okay with playing second fiddle. The next statement out of Romans 12 is don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. There has to be some sustainability in our walk in our ministry. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. That's a powerful statement. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. How do we quench the Holy Spirit? Well, here's a few ways we can quench the fire of the Holy Ghost. Number one, we can deliberately put the fire out. Galatians 6 and verse 1, Paul is writing to the church at Galatia and some of them have already walked away. And Paul is amazed and he says, I am surprised and astonished that you are so quickly turning renegade and deserting Him, that's Christ, who invited and called you by the grace 
the unmerited favour of Christ, and that you are transferring your allegiance to a different, even an opposite gospel. I've seen people make a decision. You know what? I was in, I'm now out. Second way that you can quench the fire is to suffocate it. You choke it with the world. Matthew 13 and 22, talking about the, the, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And, and again, I've seen people in my life in, in church where they were passionate for God and they were sold out for God and sold out for church. And, and then they bought an Aldi and then they had to finance that so they'd get a second job. And then, and then stuff happened and then they needed a big TV for the back of the Aldi. And then all of a sudden, they're serving mammon more than they are God. For the record, Caleb and Chantel don't have a new car, okay? Just, you know, we're okay. But if they did have a new car, we'd be okay with it, but they don't. So, right. <laughs> Other ways that we can quench the fire of the Holy Ghost. No fuel. The wrong fuel. Even a block chimney. We had, I had a fireplace in my home in Nara, and uh, we had to get the chimney swept every year. Because if you didn't, the, the flu, the, the soot would all, all, and then it doesn't, the fire just goes, you can't burn a fire without a chimney. And, and you know, if we don't have that vertical relationship with God, that there's some problem in our, in our flu, our chimney, our connection to God, then the fire of the Holy Ghost can't burn in our lives. Let's keep going. The next statement out of Romans 12 is, Be alert, servants of the Master, cheerfully expectant. The New King James says, fervent in spirit. I like it, maintaining zeal to the point of boiling. I'm a, I'm a great fan, great fan of Steve Irwin. And well, I was when he was alive. I'm still a fan, but he's dead now. In case you didn't know. That wasn't used for anyone. Okay, good. But I, I, was, I was greatly challenged by, uh, at his funeral, I watched his funeral and the... Uh, Russell Crowe was at his funeral, was speaking to, from New, from New York, was speaking to Steve at his funeral as if he was still alive. And, and, and Russell Crowe said, Steve, three days out of five, you have been on the front page of the New York Times, like one of the premier newspapers in the world. Three days out of five, front page of the New York Times. And he makes a statement, he goes, not bad for an Australian zookeeper. But you know what Steve's differential was? <laughs> he was passionate about anything. Like he'd find some little spider and he'd be down on the ground. He'd be going, wow, mate, she's a little beauty. Let's try and poke her. And, and he'd be there at the and, and he could find, a, he could find a, a, a snake. Oh, yeah, this will kill you. But what a little beauty. And he was just so excited about anything that could kill him. And then we walk into church and we go, yeah, we love the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Keep me above the waves, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I was, oh, church is over. Like I think the Bible here is saying, be alert, servants of the master, cheerfully expect them. That we would walk into church saying, game on. We are ready for something. And, you know, the, Murray gets up and preaches on Pigs and, I said pies, pies and pigs must be almost lunchtime. Pork pies, pork pies, a bit of bacon. And we're excited about the blood of Jesus, that we're expectant that God's going to move. 
Let's keep going. The next statement, we are to be fervent. Oh, no, that's not a statement. That's my notes. We're to be fervent in spirit as we're serving the Lord. Good. Excellent. <laughs> Goes on and says, don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Hey, this, is, this is a bit of a soapbox issue of mine. Because I've seen people throughout there, like Christian people, quit the moment life gets a little hard. And we react, because I mean, the Bible says, hey, in the world you're going to have tribulation. Jesus up front promises, hey, in the world you're going to have tribulation. He's like up front. Uh, It frustrates me, you know, you you get some people and they say, hey, I've got a great investment opportunity for you. And you go, are you Amway? No, no, it's a great opportunity. I go, are you trying to get me to sign up for Amway? No, it's a great opportunity. Just come to this seminar tomorrow night. But they're never up front. Jesus is not like an Amway salesman. Jesus up up front says, you know what? In the world, you're going to have sucky times. You're going to have tribulation. But he says, be of good cheer because I've deprived it of its power to harm you. This is John 16 and verse 33. But something goes wrong. We lose our job. Uh, we, we have a bad medical report. Um, the, the hamster dies. Something goes wrong. And we as Christians react like it's the, we're the first person in the world to have trouble. And none of our friends ever understand. And so we do things like we, we, we quit. If I had a dollar for every person in the course of the year, churches that I've served in that came to me and said, Hey, Pastor Peter, I'm going through a hard time, so I'm just going to take a break from church. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said that, I could pay, a, I could pay cash for an Audi for me and for the, for the Joneses. Well, I've got to keep up with the Joneses now. They've got one. That's one of my points in the financial seminar. Don't keep up with the Joneses. Not these particular people because they don't have an Audi, but just Joneses in general. Generic Joneses. You guys... You guys want an Audi, don't you? You should sign up for Amway. Come tomorrow night to the seminar I'm doing. <laughs> don't quit. Oh, can I keep going? All right. I had a, a really weird experience with a prophet. And it was 2006... And we were just about to start a building program in Nowra. And now as I look back, 2006, 2007, 2008, and the start of 2009 was probably the hardest years of my ministry. I mean, we're trying to raise, our building was $2 million. The GFC was just about to happen. We'd signed the contracts, it was all on. And and the, the moment we put the application into council for the building, literally all hell broke loose. Like, like I could, I can't begin to tell you how tough those years were. And I was in a cinema and I'm, I'm, I'm watching a movie and it was like the Holy Spirit was there beside me. And, and I'm just watching a movie. I'm just like I'm innocently watching a movie. And the Holy Spirit went, hey, 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 hey. Oh, hang on, I shouldn't hurt your legs because you're hey. Anyway. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, Get, get, get this, get this. Now I'm watching the movie Rocky. Sorry about your legs. He just had surgery on his legs, so I forgot about that. Anyway, the point is you can't quit. And, and 
I, I reckon I, I've had the Holy Spirit give me like a direct word probably five or six times, like really, really powerfully in my life. And this was one of them. We're going to play the video clip out of Rocky. I believe that Rocky prophetically spoke into my life in ministry. And I know that sounds really dumb. I, that sounds really dumb. But I'm telling you, this, this word, this word from the prophet Rocky, I'm telling you, this word sustained me for many years going through hard times because I knew that the Holy Spirit had warned me and told me what to do. Let's watch. Prophet Rocky. You ain't going to believe this. But you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's going to be the best kid in the world. This kid's going to be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching every day. It was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. That's it. What an amazing statement. It's not how hard you can hit that matters. But it's how hard you can be hit and keep moving forward. And there were times in, in, in my life where I have been beaten worse than the horn guy last week. That was the Vegas cycle. Yeah. There's been times in my life where I have, there's just been a, a, a series of blows. But the Bible says don't quit, pray all the harder. And to know that, that you know what God, all I've got to do is just keep moving forward. And there are times in my life where I take great strides forward and there are times in my life where I take less than an inch forward. But that resilience in our faith, that determination that, that I'm not going to quit, There's, it doesn't matter what comes, I am not quitting. That's the kind of gumption and faith and mongrel spirit that I believe, that tenacity that God requires. Christianity is not, not just, like he says, sunshines and rainbows. Christianity requires faith and, te and tenacious faith. And, and, and you know, people like Murray that are, and, and Caleb that will go up into the, the, the eastern highlands of New Guinea and, and, and take on devils and, uh, and, and, and Santa Waka and Nairi going over to Fiji and taking on Fijian devils. And, and, and you know, for us out, out in the community going out and taking on Bean Lee devils. I mean, there's, there's a there has to be a tenacity in our faith. Church is not just joining hands and singing kumbaya. See, Talos knows. As the musos come, I'll finish off. The Bible keeps saying, be inventive, be inventive in hospitality. 
I love that. Be inventive in hospitality. I, I, I have a theology of food that we, that we would... I think you can connect so well with people over food. And that's why we have a cafe. That's why I encourage people in the church to, to have somebody over for a meal. Because when, you, when you're sharing a meal with people, that's why Alpha, for the last 16 years that Alpha's been around, uh, we have, uh, we, we've had, yeah, Alpha has food. Actually, I didn't show the Alpha photos. Can we show the Alpha photos just quickly? And then we'll wrap it up. Because uh, Alpha started last week. We had 22 there which was absolutely outstanding. Can we, can we put those alpha photos? There we go. Uh, so that was absolutely amazing. Uh, we need to celebrate that. Ben and, and Josie have just done a great job, uh, great job with that. And that goes for 15 weeks and uh, it's going to be, be fantastic. So it's not too late to join if you want to join Alpha. Sorry, I forgot those photos. All right, that'll do, guys. Uh, we're going we're to just do a worship song. We're going to do one worship song, then we're going to dismiss the service. But I felt as I was uh, prepping for this week, it's not particularly a ministry altar call type message. But I thought if there's people in the church that are struggling with one of those areas, it could be that you feel on the verge of quitting. It could be that you've quit in the past and you feel regretful. It could be that, that you lack that enthusiasm for life and for, for the Holy Ghost. And it could be any one of those things that I talked about. It, it could be that there's, you know there's some area of compromise in your life and you're not running from evil as fast as you should. If you'd like us to join with you in prayer, the pastoral team would love to just lay hands on with you and just go, you know what? We're standing in, in, in the place of agreement with this couple or this person. And to come and give God an opportunity just to, just to engage would be awesome. Let's stand as we finish off. We'll just sing through this. If you want some prayer, great. Stay and have some food, fellowship in Cafe Esperanza. Come back tonight for prayer meeting. It's going to be fantastic. We pray for an hour. We eat for half an hour and pray for an hour. It's going to be awesome. All right. If you need some prayer, we love to pray. Hope you enjoyed that message. Join us next week for the final part in Pastor Peter's Gladiator Sermon Series.